This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. So why do seagulls live near the sea? Because if they live near the bay, they'd be bagels. Welcome to Wings and Things, where you'll find real answers to real questions about everything you want to know about pet birds. Care, feeding, bird products, travel, and more. Everything to make your frequent flyer a happy camper. From parrots to parakeets, cockatiels to cockatoos, you'll have a bird's eye view of everything there is to know about your fun, feathered friends. So, spread your wings and get ready to fly with your Wings and Things host, bird expert and author, Susan Chamberlain. Hello, welcome to Pet Life Radio. This is Wings and Things, and I'm your host, Susan Chamberlain. We're going to be talking about all things avian during this segment, particularly macaws. And we're also going to be talking about a bird club, forming a bird club, revitalizing the bird club that you already belong to. Sitting on a branch overlooking the parking lot, the pigeons watched as a Mercedes pulled in below them. What do you think, one bird said to the other. Should we put a deposit on that car? Stay perched. Wings and Things will be soaring back right after these messages. What if you could protect the life of your cat with something so simple and affordable that you already use every day? Get ready for the evolution of kitty litter. It's Pretty Litter. Along with all the features you've come to expect from your kitty litter, Pretty Litter's patented and scientific formula will also monitor your cat's health and detect illnesses early while providing industry-leading odor control. Two kitty litters, same cat, same price. But there's one important difference. Pretty Litter reacts to your cat's waste by detecting health issues simply by changing color. And the key is that Pretty Litter detects these issues before your cat shows symptoms of physical illness or pain, likely saving you major dollars in vet bills while protecting the health of your cat. What do you think, little guy? Ready to switch litter? Pretty Litter. Colorful insight into your cat's health. Go to prettylittercats.com forward slash cat 101 or use coupon code cat 101 to get 20% off your first subscription order. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com A Frenchman walks into a bar with a parrot on his shoulder. The bartender asks, where did you get that thing? The parrot replies, in France. There are millions of them. Don't have a canary. Wings and Things is back with more great words on birds with your host, Susan Chamberlain. Let's just get started with some macaws. Macaws are gentle giants for the most part. They are indigenous to South America. They are riotously colorful and they can make great pets. They can be wonderful and affectionate. They can be quite challenging to the first-time bird owner. Their big beaks might be quite intimidating, and their voices can be quite loud. But truthfully, you know, I have a macaw and four Amazons, and my macaw is a lot quieter than those Amazons. She's a blue and gold macaw. She's just a real sweetie. Every once in a while, she'll sound off, like in the morning, as birds do. And she um, will sound off in the evening around dusk again, as birds normally do, usually for a few minutes each time. 
When she emits loud blood-curdling screams, I know that somebody is in my backyard or in the neighbor's backyard and probably wearing a hat. She's a real watchbird, and she sits on top of her cage or on her stand in her room, which is on the second floor of my house, and she watches everything that goes on in the yard. So if there's an intruder, boy, I know about it. And she would certainly send someone scrambling over to the fence with those screams. But otherwise, she's just a gentle giant. I can just hold her in my arms like a baby. I can pet her. She's a little timid, which is not a bad thing because I never have to cage her. She's either on her cage. She can go in and out of her cage at will. Her cage is attached to her stand, so she can go from cage to stand. She has plenty of room to flap her wings and play. And she's just a sweet, sweet bird. Blue and gold macaws are often very gentle with their owners, and pirate is certainly fits that profile. They can also be a little nippy and um, cantankerous, but as I'm always saying, birds are such individuals. I want to tell you a little bit about Pirate's history. Pirate was given to me by um, Mark Marone, who owns a store in Rockville Center, New York, called Parrots of the World. And Mark is a very sweet guy. He's been in business since 1978, and all his life he has just loved pets, taken care of pets, and particularly birds. So Mark got Pirate from the SPCA, brought Pirate to Mark. She had been abandoned and brought to the SPCA. So Mark asked me if I would take this bird. So at first I was resisting it. I had um, just lost a bird that I loved very much. Um, She died uh, at the age of 29 from atherosclerosis. And uh, I was heartbroken. Mark wanted me to take this bird. And I was saying, no, no, I'm I'm not going to take her. I don't want another. I don't need another bird. I'm not going to take another bird. But then I made my fatal mistake. I said, well, okay, I will just come and visit her. I'll just come and take a look. So, you know, of course, then I was hooked and Pirate was going to be mine. So... A few weeks later, Pirate came to live with me, and I named her after a bird. One of Mark's mentors was Alba Ballard, and Alba, who died in the early 90s, was the woman who costumed parrots. She used to make these elaborate costumes for parrots. She had a part in the movie called Broadway Danny Rose. You may have seen Alba and a couple of her birds in Broadway Danny Rose. And just about two years ago, a book came out called Mrs. Ballard's Parrot. And it's written by, and photographs, it's a bunch of photographs assembled by a man called Arnie Svensson, A-R-N-E-S-V-E-N-S-O-N. And he did a beautiful job showcasing Alba's work in this book. So Alba elaborately dressed up probably just a handful, maybe five or six birds of all the birds that she shared her home with. Alba came from an old circus family in Milan, Italy, 
And, I mean, her main mission was just taking care of these birds. She would rescue, you know, birds from pet shops that she would go and buy the poor bird that didn't look good, looked like it needed help, take it home, nurture it, take care of it, bring it to health. And Alba was Mark Marone's mentor. And she taught him all he knew about birds as a child and fostered the love of birds in him. So Alba had a green-winged macaw that she loved so very much, and the bird's name was Pirate. Pirate got sick and died, and Alba was just heartbroken over this. And all her life, she just wanted to try and raise money for a hospital just for birds in memory of her beloved pirate. Um, That hospital never did come to fruition, but what has happened um, over the past 20 years or so is that avian medicine has made great strides, and there are probably five or six board-certified avian veterinarians here on Long Island. But anyway, I'm digressing a little bit. I was talking about my pirate. But this all comes together because Mark gave me the blue and gold macaw, and nobody knew what her name was. And since Mark was the protege, so to speak, of Alba, and I knew Alba as well, having written several articles for Bird Talk magazine about Alba, so I named this macaw pirate in honor of Alba Ballard. So my pirate is um, a gentle giant, a nice blue and gold, and um, she's she's a real sweetie. And uh, blue and golds, a well-socialized blue and gold can just be a lovely family pet. Green-winged macaws are great big red birds. They're probably about 30 to 34 inches long from head to tail. And the green-winged macaw's name comes from the fact that it has green feathers on the wings. Its large size, ruby-red coloration, and unique lines of red facial feathers make it a striking specimen. Novice bird owners often confuse the green-winged macaw with the scarlet. An easy way to distinguish between the two species is to remember that the scarlet macaw has bare cheek patches. There are no red lines of little tiny feathers on the scarlet macaw's cheeks. Hand-raised green wings make affectionate family pets when raised with kindness and patience. Some develop good vocabularies, but their voices are particularly loud, even among macaws. Green-winged macaws have large, strong beaks, and they can be voracious chewers. So if you have a green-winged macaw, make sure you provide your bird with plenty of large, chunky wood toys to satisfy its penchant for chewing. Hyacinth macaws are really the biggest of all. They have this cobalt blue plumage accented with bright yellow eye rings and skin surrounding the lower mandible. They, and when they stick out their tongues, you can even see a little yellow at the back of their tongues. They have big feet and huge black beaks. And this is the largest of all parrots and one of the most unusual looking as well. The hyacinth macaw is indigenous to Brazil, and it's the only one of its genus surviving in healthy numbers. It's endangered in the wild, but successful captive breeding efforts have kept the hyacinth available, but expensive, to the pet trade. They're often so relaxed about breeding, they don't even require an aviary. 
A pair at Pet Kingdom in Fort Myers, Florida, mated, nested, and successfully reared several clutches in their display area right in the store, in full view of everybody. If you pointed a camera at them, they started doing the wild thing right then and there. It was amazing and very, very noisy. Hyacinth macaws are enthusiastic chewers, and they must be provided with tough, chewable toys. Manzanita, one of the hardest woods available, is the one to use for a hyacinth's perch. These birds can make excellent family pets for experienced bird owners, often cuddling and playing like puppies. If obtained young, they may develop fair vocabularies. The hyacinths I've known weren't noisy birds, but they could turn up the volume when they wanted to. A breeding pair of hyacinths can be absolutely deafening. Military macaws are large green birds with the red band across the lures. It can be affectionate pet, but its imposing size and aggressive tendencies make it most suitable for an experienced bird owner's. Hand-raised youngsters have the best pet potential, but be ready for some noise. Military macaws have exceptionally loud voices, and like other macaws, they possess fair talking ability. They too can be voracious chewers. An endless supply of wood toys is a must. Garlet macaw has bright primary colors, red, yellow, and blue. It's a striking bird indeed, but to me it's the unearthly blue of the lower back and rump feathers that render the scarlet one of nature's finest works of art. The white facial area is bare to the naked eye, but a magnifying glass will reveal tiny, tiny red feathers weaving a pattern across that tender cheek skin. Like other macaws, scarlets can be relatively quiet when kept singly, but are capable of emitting loud screeches at will. They're capable of reducing your home to toothpicks, so provide plenty of substantial wood toys to divert that chewing urge. Although they have a reputation for being somewhat nippy, scarlet macaws can develop into affectionate and devoted pets. My scarlet was the sweetest bird I'd ever encountered, climbing onto laps for cuddling, pushing her head into hands for petting. She never discriminated, but gave everyone, including visitors, equal amounts of attention. I've never been particularly spiritual, but when Kashmir Saki, who breeds scarlets and hyacinths in Virginia, told me that a tribe of Indians in Brazil believe the scarlet macaw has a human soul, I believe it too. Now, mini macaws, there are, are smaller macaws too. They're called mini macaws. They're severe macaws, hans, and yellow-collared macaws. They pack big personalities into mini macaw bodies. Although they can be somewhat noisy, a well-adjusted individual that enjoys a close bond with its pet human may be relatively quiet. Mini macaws can be accommodated in smaller cages than required by their larger cousins, and for this reason may be better suited to apartment living. They are active and playful, and their beaks are strong and powerful. Provide a mini macaw with a spacious cage for exercise and with plenty of substantial wood toys to satisfy chewing urges. These little guys, especially the Hans, can become fair talkers, and their outgoing personalities make them suitable for family living. 
If you live in an apartment or condo or other close quarters, though, please make sure that your neighbors won't object to the noise because there will be some noise if you have any kind of a macaw. And um, check on your local noise ordinances and also any covenants on, on your deed or your rental agreement because a noisy bird, you know, some people are very live and let live and the noise doesn't bother them. You know, my neighbors never complain about my birds and I never complain about their barking dogs. But I have a friend who lived in Florida and she had a neighbor with an African gray parrot and other neighbors complained that that African gray bothered them because it talked too much when it was out on the patio in its cage. Now, African greys generally talk in like little human voices. They're probably the least annoying birds of all, but someone was annoyed by them. So do check it out before you fall in love with a bird because you'll either find yourself moving prematurely or having to find another home for your bird. It certainly isn't fun when you have to do something like that. Well, we're going to take a pause for just a moment, and then we'll be back with some Bird Club Basics right here on Wings and Things on Pet Life Radio. Stay perched. Wings and Things will be soaring back right after these messages. Put on a perfectly possum pet party. Having an awesome birthday or adoption day celebration for your four-legged big great memories and Instagram-worthy photos. They're available in two colorful themes, Tropical and Fireman. It's a dog's life. Celebrate it with Molly and Bandit Pet Party at mollyandbanditpetparty.com slash petlife. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. A Frenchman walks into a bar with a parrot on his shoulder. The bartender asks, where did you get that thing? The parrot replies, in France. There are millions of them. Don't have a canary. Wings and Things is back with more great words on birds with your host, Susan Chamberlain. Hello, welcome back to Pet Life Radio. I'm Susan Chamberlain, and this is Wings and Things. Do you belong to a bird club? Are you thinking about starting a bird club? Well, let's talk about why bird clubs are a good thing. First of all, bird clubs started years ago with a bunch of breeders kind of getting around and exchanging breeding information, what's worked for them and what didn't work for them. Bird clubs then kind of evolved to embrace bird owners as well. And they were welcomed into the bird clubs. And they were, they were kind of social clubs where people sat around and talked about the cute things their birds did and discussed how to take better care of their birds. Then, probably during the 80s, bird clubs began to evolve into service organizations. They began to raise money to um, help support avian medicine. Avian medicine was just kind of in its infancy then. Before then, you know, every everything that was applied to pet birds had had its basis in, in the poultry industry, which thank goodness for the poultry industry, because pet birds would have probably been up the creek. There weren't that many veterinarians who knew anything about them at all. 
So, you know, in the, in the 80s, people started thinking about avian medicine and what they could do to help. So Burke Club started raising money to help support avian research in veterinary medicine. And um, they also began to talk about captive breeding on a larger scale. The handwriting was on the wall. Imports weren't going to be um, going on forever. As a matter of fact, in 1986, New York State outlawed the sale of imported birds. And then in 1992, it was outlawed across the entire United States. Imported birds were not allowed to be brought into the country for the pet trade or any other reason except under very special circumstances, which would probably include if a, an endangered bird was needed as a mate for another bird in, in a zoo, the bird couldn't survive on, in the wild in its own country. You know, there are a whole lot of um, different criteria for it. But no longer were um, imported birds going to be allowed to be sold in pet shops. And as early as uh, the first time I remember seeing tame birds on view in pet stores was probably around 1978. And a lot of those birds had still been, had, had been imported. They had been imported as youngsters and hand raised by the pet store owners or imported as older birds and tamed down by the pet store owners whose hands tended to look like hamburger. Well, anyway, the popularity um, of the exotic bird hobby began to grow, and bird clubs also began to grow. And bird clubs would also have, once a year, they would have a show and invite the breeders to come and exhibit their birds at this show. The shows would be judged. They would win um, ribbons and their estimation as breeders would go up throughout the country. So that's where bird clubs were then. And they began to, when the handwriting was on the wall about the no more imported birds, people really began the American Federation of Aviculture and bird clubs and even pet bird owners, began to get behind this support captive breeding effort campaign. And people began breeding, you know, species that were never really bred in, in this country, in the United States before. And as a matter of fact, a friend of mine, Sing Tonyai, from Thailand bred Asian parakeets in his aviary in Florida. He bred Derbian parakeets, which hardly anyone was successful in breeding those exotic beauties. And since he was from that part of the world, he had observed them in nature, and they they are very, very strong flyers. They flew for miles up and down the Himalayas. So um, he gave them huge flights in his aviary so that they could continue to fly. And they certainly settled down and began to breed. And so did some of his other species that he had. He had the plumheads and alexandrine parakeets. The alexandrine or alexandrine parakeet is named after Alexander the Great because explorers brought them back from Asia 
for Alexander the Great when they came back from their travels. But anyway, getting back to where do bird clubs fit into all this. So bird clubs, you know, supported avian medicine, supported captive breeding efforts, and if they began to encompass more pet bird owners. They weren't just for breeders anymore. Bird clubs today have evolved into, I would say, you know, full-service clubs. They're in service to the birds, to their owners, and to the general public. Education is a big, big uh, mission of bird clubs today. Educating members and educating the public about proper bird care. You know, you, you go into a pet shop and buy a bird, and often receive very little education about that bird when you purchase it. So the bird clubs provide information, provide a place to go for that information. And certainly there are many, many bird stores that do try and educate their customer and do give them support. Mark Marone at Parrots of the World is one. Uh, Bird Paradise in New Jersey is another. The stores that specialize in birds are the ones who tend to give you more education and more support when you do purchase a parrot from a store. But bird clubs are also great sources of information. Now, these captive breeding efforts were so successful in the 80s and 90s that there were so many domestic birds just flooding the market. And they had, many of them had been hand raised, they're cute, they're cuddly, and people bought the birds in droves thinking, oh, this bird is great. I love this bird. Two birds are going to be more fun, and three birds are just going to be a party every day. Soon people became overwhelmed with the number of birds they ended up with. And, you know, you really need to, I, I always say, you know, if, if you're getting a bird and then you're getting another bird, let a year and a half go by before you add another bird to your flock. That'll give you plenty of time to think about it. You won't be impulsive and you'll get to see how much extra work is indeed involved in that second or third bird. So because the hobby grew so quickly and because so many people got birds that impulsively, they didn't know what to do with them when they didn't want them. Animal shelters had no facilities for birds. What do you do? Well, they started turning to the bird clubs. I have a bird. I don't want this bird anymore. The store won't take it back. My husband is crazy because of all the noise. Uh, my child is allergic to the bird. I need to get rid of this bird. Can you help me? Well, bird clubs then became adoption referral services. And then also people would say, my bird escaped. How can I get my bird back? Bird clubs started helping people rescue their birds climbing trees and helping them get them back, or at least giving some advice about how to recover an escaped birds. So bird clubs are now really involved in rehoming, adoption, rescue, and education. Certainly um, supporting avian research is still a big priority, but what to do with all these birds is an even bigger priority. 
And education is so important because an educated bird owner is going to, number one, know how to take care of the bird better. Number two, understand the bird's requirements and personality foibles and therefore keep the bird longer. So anyway, now to forming a bird club. Clarify your mission. What is your mission? Is it education? Is it supporting avian research? You have to have a clear mission. Are you nonprofit or not for profit? If you are incorporated as a nonprofit organization, you, you'll need a lawyer to file your nonprofit status. But if you are a nonprofit, that means that you can receive donations and the donors will get a tax deduction for donating to you. If you are not for profit, they don't generally get a tax deduction for giving you a donation. Uh, make sure you cover your tail and get legal advice before you really start your rescue and your bird club, if you're going to be rescuing birds or adopting birds out. I mean, there's nothing that's more emotional than adoption referral services. Clubs have broken up over that. There's always someone who says, okay, I'm going to give this bird a foster home. And then they say, well, I'm keeping this bird. I'm not giving it up. You know, you get a book of legal forms for rescue groups. Have your members sign for everything. If somebody's fostering a bird, if someone picks up a bird from someone that is giving up the bird, they need to have a relinquishment um, form signed because people change their minds. That it, it's, it's really a jungle out there. Um, buy a copy of Robert's Rules of Order for meeting procedures and bylaws and motivate your group. You know, what gets people excited? You, you look down and off the podium at a bird club meeting. Do you see your members just sitting there kind of glassy-eyed? Um, think about what's going to get them excited. What's going to get them motivated to work for the club, to get out there, to get your mission um, going? Newsletters are a great thing. Make sure you have a club newsletter. It's um, There's bound to be a computer literate person in your group who can create your newsletter. It's your portrait. Schedule a mailing or emailing a week before your club meetings to pump up the attendance at meetings. Um, mail newsletters to local media, too. That'll help get you some publicity. There may not be a bird club in your area. Let the newspapers and TV stations know that you're available. Distribute these newsletters to veterinary offices. You know, we get an awful lot of members at the Long Island Parrot Society here on Long Island, New York, through referrals by veterinarians. So, you know, make sure you're out there. Take part in community events. That will also, you know, get you out there and let the public know about you. What are the roles of your officers? You know, you'll have a president, a vice president, a treasurer, a recording secretary. Um, define what the jobs for each are going to be, and don't let one person do it all. Uh, make sure that you have backups. You know, if make sure your treasurer files a financial report every month. You need to let the members know what your finances are and where the money goes. 
you need to have a backup system so that if one person can no longer do their job, you can take it over. If there's a list of volunteers, make sure that that list is in duplicate or triplicate and that every officer of the club has that list. Otherwise, you know, you have disgruntled members taking off, you know, a disgruntled officer taking off with the list and saying, well, I'm not giving it back to you. Well, you know, it's certainly not right, but it certainly does happen. One of the most important positions with a club is the volunteer coordinator. A volunteer coordinator knows what every volunteer is doing all the time, and it's a great thing. You know, you have various committees. They can get their own volunteers, but they should let the coordinator know who's doing what. This way there can be, um, you know, an overview here. And if there's a hole somewhere, the volunteer coordinator can help fill it. Is this true or false? Volunteers can't be fired. Well, it may be more difficult to fire a volunteer than an employee, But volunteers have to follow through with their jobs. It's just so absolutely important. And if they don't follow through, then you're going to need to find someone else to cover their job. You'll need a corresponding secretary. You'll have to send thank you notes for donations, sympathy cards to members if um, a member of their family uh, passes away or if their bird passes away. You will have to correspond with perhaps other bird clubs, different, you know, whatever correspondence you need. You'll need your corresponding secretary. Think of dividing it up. You know, the corresponding secretary can take care of real club business and the social secretary can take care of the thank yous and the greeting cards. And also, you'll need a recording secretary. Uh, organizations are required by law to keep minutes of their board meetings. So the recording secretary will be keeping the minutes of the board meeting and providing them to all board members. You'll need a publicity person. If people don't know about you, they can't join your club. There's lots of free publicity out there. There's television, radio, newspapers, little um, penny saver type flyers. The treasurer is going to be the person who's responsible for keeping track of the money, making bank deposits, and um, writing the checks. You know, you may have to pay rent for your meeting place each month. You may um, have to pay your phone bill. Your treasurer will be the one who will take care of that. Communicate via email. Email is a very useful tool, but don't get into personal attacks online. Never, ever, ever, never, ever communicate to a member or someone interested in your club in any negative way. Don't put anything into email that you wouldn't want shouted from the rooftops. It'll come back to bite you. And keep learning. Attend seminars. Uh, we we sent our um, treasurer to school to learn QuickBooks. We send our publicity person to um, media conferences every year and a fundraising person to a philanthropy day here on Long Island. There are some excellent books that will help you with your club, uh, with forming your club, with making money for your club, and with planning events. I love the Dummies books and the Idiot books. They are just excellent. There's Fundraising for Dummies, 
grant writing for dummies. I followed the directions in grant writing for dummies, and the Long Island Parrot Society got a $9,000 grant to produce our um, new bird owner's welcome packet. And it, it was an excellent thing, and we are continuing to give it out to people. It's free of charge. If you would like a copy, visit www.liparrots.org. O-R-G, and request a copy of the new Bird Owner's Welcome Packet. Be sure to include your name and address, and it will be sent right out to you. Some other books are The Idiot's Guide to Meeting and Event Planning, The Nonprofit Kit for Dummies, which is excellent. You really um, need to get that if you're thinking of forming any kind of club or if you already have a club, and The Public Relations Kit for Dummies. They are all excellent, and they will certainly help you on your way to a successful bird club. We'll be talking a little more about bird clubs in the next segment of Wings and Things here on Pet Life Radio. But right now we're out of time. This is Susan Chamberlain on Wings and Things, signing off. We'll see you next time. Join us every week on Wings and Things with your host, Susan Chamberlain, and get a bird's eye view of everything there is to know about pet birds and how to make your frequent flyer a happy camper. Wings and Things, only on PetLifeRadio.com.